White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 591. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, we're back. Andy Fix is here. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm here. Andy, you are there. Yes, I always check and make sure. I am definitely here, Van. How you doing today, buddy? Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm I'm getting along here. Um, I'm hoping that you and I are both prepared and ready to talk about some Babylon Five tonight. <laughs> I'm I'm prepared on paper. Let's just hope that the computer <laughs> agrees with us. <laughs> yes. Well, I know it's always a mixed bag. The technology betrays us, but we'll see how it goes. I, I do have to say that I listened to that episode, and your editing was was spotless man I, I couldn't even remember where we had our issues because your editing was so well and it was so so smoothly done you're i'd forgotten but yeah our episode two weeks ago we had all kinds of internet disconnection problems and i i did kind of have to go in there and do a lot of surgery to it but that was all right because i wanted the product to be you know good and that the listeners would enjoy so that's okay i've got you know i was just thinking i'm coming up on 10 years of experience doing these things uh doing podcasts and I cataloged, cool. I cataloged just the White Rocket podcast shows I've done, and it's almost 300. And then there's probably 450 of the football shows, and we've done probably a couple dozen of these now, I guess, right? Something like oh, that, almost. at least, yeah. I mean, Seems we like do, it. what, yeah, a couple dozen, you're right. Something like that. So, uh, yep. yeah, and then all the James Bond shows, I've kind of stepped away from the James Bond network that we have. I kind of let Jared and the other rest of the crew do that but it's still part of our network so there's and i did a lot of those early days so yeah so it was no no problem to go in and kind of fix it up make it sound good that is no problem i got a couple things to say about the episodes we're going to look at tonight i'm i'm i want to know if this is true for you i'm finding it harder as the sort of arc kicks in to to find stuff for our categories because it's getting more about the big picture and less about episodic and so yep. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know how to answer that. You know, are you, are you experiencing anything like that? Or just me. You know, for the first episode, I struggled. For the second episode, I actually had too much. Yeah. For some of the for some of the categories, I was like, holy cow! Yeah. But yeah, you know, the 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 funny stuff kind of falls away a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it it you, you really got to look hard for something that's that's actually genuinely chuckle worthy. But yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, it and I know that it's going to get even. Uh, it's just going to get more intense as we move on. So yeah, we might have to uh, uh, massage the categories a little bit as <laughs> as we get into the the more uh, heavier stuff. Well, we've never been afraid to do that. We've changed them around a little bit over the over the over our run. So you know, I was going to say right? this. I think this is important, Andy. It seems to me that you know nowadays people that look back on Babylon Five really fondly, what they praise now is the big arc, the big stories, the interconnectedness and all that. 
You yep. rarely hear anybody do what you and I have been doing on this show, which is praising those early individual episodic ones, because I think the things that you and I have focused on and kind of rediscovered, I would argue, right, is just how good Claudia Christian and uh, Michael O'Hare and Jerry Doyle and and then Bruce Boxleitner and all the rest of them, how good they were at doing the comedy stuff and the character stuff yep. before the big saga takes over. Right. I, I agree 100%. And more to that point, when we, we're approaching this from as if we were watching it for the first time, and when we were all watching it for the first time, we didn't know what was coming. We didn't know that big story arc was going to take off in the middle of season two and just yep. – take us for a wild roller coaster about two and a half seasons after that so uh, there was a lot to appreciate early on. i mean it kept a, a lot of people watching so there was obviously good stuff early early enough on that that it you know kept us watching and kept us intrigued and stuff so i think we're it's and it's because we did get taken for that wild roller coaster ride we kind of forgot about all that stuff like what you were saying words that's all we talk about is how cool the big story was no one even remembers how cool the little stories were up and uh, up to that point because and a lot of that has to do with because the little stories built up everything so when big story took off it was organic and it seemed like it was all planned which it was mhm you know it the, the the metaphor that comes to my mind as you say that it's like you're waiting in line at a at an amusement park for a really really good roller coaster and while you're waiting in line, you have conversations with some of the most interesting people you've ever met in your life. And you're like, man, this is awesome. I could just stand here and talk to these people all day. And then you go on that roller coaster ride and you forget all about those people and all you think about is a roller coaster ride. That's <laughs> right. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> That's a crazy one, but it's what came to my mind. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's it, it, the first season is not a roller coaster ride, but it is, it, there's so many moments that we, and the second season, that we, haven't appreciated, I think, in you know when we look back at the big stuff, we we kind of miss the the little stuff. So I'm, I think, if nothing else, one thing our show has done is kind of help promote the idea that there's more to this show than just the stuff that's always talked about. This show, there's more. It had to be more. Right, right, yeah. absolutely, because it, it got everybody to the middle of season two. Yeah, and you know what I have really fun doing is and has been really interesting to to look at looking at the series. If we didn't go down the arc storyline that we went down, how how cool would it have been to do the to take the show in other directions? Or you know, the, like we we often talk about keeping it the the procedural, you know, different story of the week. Or how cool would it have been to to, to take off on the explorer ship with the uh, or, or even on the Agamemnon with uh, Sharon yeah. to have a, a a series like that. So it, it's fun knowing what we know now. We know we're getting the awesome show, but yeah. it's fun to look back and say. What if, you know, how could this show have gone in a different direction? It would have been super cool. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one other thing i gotta got to explain really quickly to the audience and to you to a certain degree. I, I want to make it clear to you and everybody else because we haven't had a problem with this until now, but I'm noticing it's a problem now in terms of how I've been numbering the episodes. And this, this is going to be kind of boring, so I'm going to get through it really quickly, okay? Here's the deal. <clears throat> there's a lot of different ways to order these episodes, and there's different ways to number them. And I've been using the Lurker's Guide numbering, uh, which lists them in production order. But unfortunately, they use, the, they use just a serial three-digit number 
or, or a two-digit number, I mean, most of the time, for their episode. So like the first season of the, uh, the first episode of the first season they list is number one. So we're on like number 37 right now. But the, the numbering that we've been using is the first digit's the season, and the second digit is the airing order. So like we, this would be like 215. Well, nothing actually calls this episode 215, right? The Lurker's Guide either calls it 37 or 214, the production number. And I'm like, no! Nah! We don't need three or four different numbering <laughs> systems for the same thing. No. So I'm sticking with the numbering that we've been using and just go with it. Trust me. Okay. It's it's the, the first digit is the season and the second and third digits are the airing order in that season. So this is 215. It's season two, episode 15. Okay. Does that hopefully that <laughs> hopefully that answers all the questions. If you go to um, Internet Movie Database, I'm pretty sure, yeah, they have it as S2E15, so Season yeah. 2, Episode 15. Right. That's, so that's they, they do have it numbered. 215, yeah. That's basically what, what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. All right, as long as that's clear. Right. So we're going to start out with 215, Season 2, Episode 15, and now for a word. And this is interesting. Um, as I always ask, would you like to do the summary for this one or the next one? You, you can kick or you can defer to the second half. <laughs> so in this episode, uh, ISN, their, their equivalent of Fox News or CNN, mm -hmm. comes to Batman 5 to film a documentary about the um, and about the crew and its mission and all that. And uh, during the filming of the documentary, Babylon 5 must deal with the uh, Narn Centauri War spilling over into Babylon 5 space. That's it. Okay, production number 214 aired May 3rd, 1995. Written by JMS. I think we're pretty much into the JMS. Well, I think there's at least one more Detilio episode. I may be wrong. I think Knives is a Larry Detilio. So we're not into the big JMS long run, uninterrupted run yet, but we're getting close. This is directed by Mario DeLeo again. Knives is coming up too. It is, yeah. Coming up very soon. <clears throat> Notable guest stars. Kim Zimmer plays Cynthia Torkman. And JMS was asked about her name, Cynthia Torkman, and he said the torque part came from Torquemada, the Inquisitor, which seemed appropriate since we were shortly doing an episode with an Inquisitor. And I'm just like, uh-oh, spoiler space, JMS, don't say that. But we are coming up on an episode <laughs> with an Inquisitor. That's one of my favorites. Uh, and we also have Christopher Curry. Yep, as, here. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. As Senator Quantrell, do you have any factoids that you want to throw out about this episode? Oh, factoids! Uh, Eduardo, the dock worker, shows up again. Yes, season one. Yes. Uh, by any by any means necessary. I I thought that was a neat bit of continuity to get that actor back for that. Yeah, and he actually refers back to that episode a little bit, or the story of that episode. And I did notice during the. Um, during the uh, uh, council meeting, that uh, Larry was wearing his purple uh, purple tunic again with a black cloak over it. And I thought we were done with the purple, but it popped up there. Hmm. That was very interesting. Yeah. And he was acting totally evil, Londo Malari, too. So it's not like, you know, he it, it, was, it was a visual conflict or anything. He was full on evil here. So he should have been all black. I thought that was uh, that was an interesting, interesting choice. You know, it is. Sad, by the way, you remind me that Londo has probably a half a dozen moments across the series 
that he's completely unlikable and just a total evil scumbag. And that's sad because on the uh, you right. know, in the in the other ninety five episodes or whatever, we love him. But there's just a handful right. where he has no redeeming features at all. He's just a just a dirtbag. And you know what's so tragic is that even when he's being a complete dirtbag and completely evil, you understand according to her circumstances why he made the decision he did mm-hmm. in that circumstance. He acted the way he did. I mean, it, it the character is so well developed. Even when he's being a jerk, you no, know, you know, there's still some post there. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I have some couple of points. One, it, it seems clear from his comments at the time that JMS was very excited about this episode. I feel like I feel like it hasn't really stood up to the test of time the way he kind of thought it would because nobody ever mentions this one again, really, uh, in terms of like, oh, that one episode with the reporter. But he was just really excited. I think he was just excited to do something different. You know what I mean? Like a different approach, a different structure. Because he was doing a lot of foreshadowing on his, like, internet posts back then. I noted, the first thing I thought of when I watched this episode in 95 was that MASH did an episode very similar to this. So I looked it up. Mm-hmm. And a very good was, episode. Yeah, 1976, The Interview. Cleet Roberts, who actually had been a World War II correspondent, interviews the main characters. And what was interesting is there's a slight difference because... In that MASH episode, it reveals something about the characters. But in this Babylon 5 episode, we don't really learn anything about the characters we didn't already know, but we learn a lot of background stuff about Earth and about what's going on that we haven't had a chance to learn before. It's almost like by talking to the characters, we learn more about the context. Right, and I think that was to the detriment of this episode. Um, mm. it, it was a lot of info dump. I know when you're mm. reading a side book, there are sometimes chapters that, that people call info dump, where they just mm. dump a bunch of background information on you to give you context about what the characters are going through. But uh, it, it was a little hard to digest. I mean, it was in huge chunks here, and there wasn't... Well, we'll get, it, we'll get into the specifics as we get into the categories. But yeah, I, I thought it was... It, it holds up in that it's... it's uh, kind of scary how accurately it predicts modern day news shows you know yeah. on 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 all the all the mm-hmm. biased news channels mm-hmm. left and right mm-hmm. how how they approach issues uh very uh, they, they have their mind made up before they go into it and the questions they ask uh, are very leading and stuff and this this was very prescient of of that because it, it it reminded me a lot of that so i think in that in that part it does hold up i, I thought that was really interesting yeah yeah, that's true. All right, here's just a quick potpourri of things we learn. Here's that info dump you're talking about, all right? Buckle up, because here we go. <laughs> um, this episode aired on September 16, 2259 on ISN. So we're pretty far into 2259 already, you know, the way that the, each episode, each yep. season is a year. We're already well into September, yep. so a lot's going to happen in the fall. The Narn homeworld was invaded by the Centauri around 2110. The occupation lasted about 100 years. So the, the, so the Centauri left Narn about 2210, about 45, 50 years before the show starts. Um, Jakar entered the Resistance after his father was executed by the Centauri. Uh, 41% of Earth Alliance citizens feel that Babylon 5 isn't worth the time and expense. That totally, the only thing I would, I'm, I'm surprised is it's not higher. I, I would have thought it would have been like 54% don't think it was worth the time or expense. Right. Um, 
Aliens, and by that I mean non-humans, make up 42% of the population of the station. I thought that was interesting. Fewer than half. Uh, all aliens put together is less than half compared to the humans. That's interesting. It is a human station, though. Uh, and they do make the point right. that um, any other race had built that station, it would just be them. But humans share it. I thought that was interesting. Delenn said that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We know that 250,000 humans died during the Earthman Bari War, which seems, I guess, about right if they're all out in space. It's like they didn't bomb the planet. The Clark government has formed the Office of Public Information and the Ministry for Public Morale. Oh, boy. That's, those sound great. Sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> Senator Hidoshi, Sinclair's main man, is no longer in the Senate, so there's no Senator Hidoshi to go to anymore. And Sheridan, yep. re- Sheridan received the Earth Force Silver Star for Valor during the war. I do know a couple more things. JMS made the subliminal PSYCOR message just long enough that American television wouldn't censor it. Four seconds instead of two, or something like that. Four tenths of a second instead of two tenths of a second. But in France, it was too right, short, right. and they and they in France they 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 censored it. It was too short. Hmm. Oh, this was interesting. JMS said, "Quote: Very few people have noted the play on the title. The usual complete phrase is and and now for a word from our sponsor. So so in other words, the name of the episode was and now for a word, and we just kind of think it means like from the reporter, from the news, but actually it's from the sponsor. He says, so who was the only sponsored? What was the only sponsored commercial shown in the twenty twenty two fifty nine version? Psychor and IPX. And I'm not. I said Psychor and IPX. I'm not sure which one he's referring to, but I guess in some ways it's the same. So it, the whole episode really was a word from Psychor and IPX and the Clark government, wasn't it? Right, right. Presented as a neutral, you know, expose, but it really was a, right. a hit piece, a hatchet job. Right. Um, oh, and the other thing I thought was funny was that the reporter keeps calling Ivanova Commander Ivanova, and I thought <laughs> that had to be deliberate. Because JMS wouldn't let them say yeah. it wrong. It had to be showing that the reporter didn't know her, right? Right. I think so. All right. Let's talk about it. What was your high point of And Now for a Word? <laughs> I, I, I didn't have a high point. I, I, and that's not to say that this episode was horrible, that it was all just a, a, a waste, but there wasn't, there wasn't any story to this. And, no. and had to pick one. It would be the neat little tidbits of information we got about the different, uh, all the different goings on. Like when he, when she was talking to Delenn, and Delenn, you know, we, we got some insight on the 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 Minbar homeworld, you know, about the how everything is car- the the buildings are carved out of crystal, and how the 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 polar ice cap covers a fourth of the plane. I mean, that that was some interesting, you know, very science fictiony sort of stuff. We got some insight into. Um, Jakar, you know, he said that he he, he fought in the, uh, the rebellion at a young age, but if that was 45, 50 years ago, Jakar's, you know, he's he's 60, 65 mm-hmm. years old. Now, again, the, the Arn being science fiction, he could live longer, but that's still kind of a, an interesting insight. So I guess that would be the high point if I had to pick one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had down as my high point Jakar's dissertation on colonialism. I, I thought it was nice yeah. that he kind of laid out just what's wrong with one people coming in and taking over another people's land and, and their society. And I thought it was really good when he kind of summed it up. He says, they do it for this reason, they do it that for this reason. He said, mostly they just do it because they can. And that's always been like, you know, right. 
I teach, you know, when I teach World Civ, we talk about the colonization of Africa, and I always say, well, there was that they could get, they, they had a way to get past malaria, they had a way to get up the rivers suddenly, they had machine guns, but mostly they just could, you know. And then in the, I noted that in the next scene, it's just, it works so well, because in the next scene, Londo gives a master class in propaganda. So you, you go from like Martin Luther King right. to Goebbels. <laughs> it's quite the smash transition. <laughs> okay, what was your low point? The whole episode? <laughs> well, no. It, it, bits and pieces, the episode was, was, was fine. It was just that there was no story to it. I mean, mm. they try to tack on the, the whole uh, um, conflict between the Narn and the Centauri. But that, I mean, we only saw bits and pieces of that. There was no, you know characterization or beginning middle end i mean there was no there was no real story so it was just it, it was like watching a new show you know which i mean i guess as a as an artistic experiment it was kind of fun to watch the first time but you know i i maybe we were just spoiled with with all the good writing that we had of late that yeah. uh, and it was again i i don't know it, it sounds like i'm really hating on it it it, it wasn't born the the acting was great the writing was fine just as a whole story it just didn't come together for me no, I, I know what you mean. Um, and again, I think it's one that JMS liked in the sense that it was different and let him try something completely different. And it gave the production company some excitement to be trying something different and filming it. You know, it was yeah. shot different. The cam- that kind of handheld camera thing and everything was very different. But yeah, it's not one that anybody talks about today and goes, oh, remember the one where they had the reporter? And no, nobody talks about it. Uh, my, right. my low point was when the reporter just like intentionally makes Delenn feel so awkward and embarrassed and and shames her. Like it's like I mean she basically the report is so stupid. The reporter basically says, We had to move heaven and earth to get this interview. And then the first thing she does is ask a couple of questions that are just guaranteed to end the interview right there. I mean what you know, what did you expect was gonna happen when you say those things? Start with start with what's your favorite color and work your way up to <laughs> How does it feel to and, be Hitler in space? You know, I mean, come on. Right. And I think that was intentional on the reporter or on, on the character's part because um, she wanted to go in there and, and just make her make the lens look as, as dumb and as weak as possible. Yeah. As quickly as possible. So well, I, I think that was her, her whole goal. And remember, the Clark administration's agenda includes making the aliens look bad. Remember? Right. Uh, yep, uh, absolutely. A regime like Clark's needs scapegoats. They need somebody to blame things on and attack and make fun of and say they're the real problem, not us. And the, right. and the aliens are the are the are the scapegoats. I'll leave it at that. Um, I did note though that as unpleasant as it was to watch, it was also interesting because. That if if not the only, it's certainly one of the few times in the entire series that Delenn actually has to be has to confront her own actions in that war. There's a couple of other episodes where it comes back up, but never. It's always like oh, you know, it's always like in flashback. Like here's Delenn in the moment, you know, right. at the at the war. It's never somebody now saying you did this. You you're responsible for killing all these people, and you know this is like the only time she has to face that. So I, I guess as bad as it was, at least it happened once. You know, so, right? Yeah. And I I think it's interesting every time that that uh, uh, a scene like this comes up. Uh, the the past couple of episodes, there's been you know little tidbits here and there. We forget 
you know, because everybody remembers Delenn as a super strong character for, you know, her actions later in the series mm-hmm. and how strong of a character is and supportive and, and strong-willed and, and self-confident that Delenn is. And she is that character. But there, this at this period of her characterization, she has some real chinks in her armor that, that people can, can get to pretty quickly and, and really affect her. That's absolutely right. In fact, I hadn't thought about it. I'm glad you thought about it. I'm glad you said that, though, because cause think about this. The, the one thing, I mean, obviously what kind of jumps out from that discussion, that brief aborted discussion, was asking about all the people that were killed. But I think that when you look back on it, and, and you just caused me to look back on it and think of this, so I, I appreciate that. Um, when I look back on it now, the thing that I kind of latch on to is the other question, which is that she's turned herself into a half-human. And she and, and the reporter asked, like, why did you do that? Well, to be a bridge between the two and whatever. And she's like, why would you think that anybody, you know, any human would want you to, to be a half-human, would want a bridge, you know? And I, I thought that was interesting because, like you said, Delenn is at kind of a fragile moment here. She's only just now beginning to get used to being half-human. I mean, just only beginning to get used to the physical aspects of that, as we've seen in previous episodes for humor and non-humor <laughs> right. purposes. She's getting used to the psychological change. She's getting used to the fact that her own people don't respect her anymore and kicked her out of the Grey Council, right? And here she yep. is, like, trying to hold it together with everybody against her. And this reporter walks in and says... You know, and, and she's like, she's like, I've lost my own people. The humans hate me. Everybody, you know, everybody hates me. But this is important. I need to do this. And the reporter comes in and says, Why would you think that was a good thing to do? You know, no wonder she freaked out. Yep. And and the <sighs> reporter made it seem particularly monstrous. I mean, the way yeah. she phrased it, she's like, You took the face of a human and and put it on like a mask. It's like, wow, wow, that's harsh. Yeah. Again, when she's just now trying to convince herself that she didn't do that. That she right, has exactly. good, that she has good motives. Uh, it's almost like we need somebody to show up and really like interrogate Delenn as to why she's doing everything she's doing. I wonder if we could arrange that, Andy. <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. No spoilers. <laughs> All right. Did you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane overact? It, it's by the way, it says something about Ari Benzane. I've never typed his name into my notes. It's just every time I look at the Orenzento Overacting Award, I immediately insert Ari Benzane in there. It's a tribute to that man. Yes. Uh, I, did, <laughs> I did not have one for this because no. I thought everybody was, was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Well, there were not a lot of guest stars, and it's usually right. a guest star. Right. And um, I, I noted that the reporter, Torquemada, whatever her name is, Torquemada, she was a little scenery chewy, but I think that that was what that character needed to do. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to dock her for that. Right. And I think with a, with a, a lesser actor or actress that that could have been a, a true candidate for the award, because like you said, she was given some scenery chewing mm-hmm. lines and that was her character. And with a lesser actor, they would have taken that really over the top. Bingo. Yeah, good call. Okay, what was your most... Ba- There's a few to choose from here. Your most Babylon 5 scene. Yeah, my most Babylon 5 scene was... Uh, um, hold on a second. I got to take my glasses off here. <laughs> uh, the, oh, the, the scene where, where it, <coughs> she asks everybody, is Babylon 5 worth it? Um, and especially Sheridan's answer, I thought was, was very Babylon, Babylon 5-ish. Yeah, at the very end where everybody is answering why they think Babylon 5 is... Or if they even think Babylon 5 is worth it. 
Mm-hmm. And his uh, his answer at the very end was, "It's not about you know commerce. It's not about war. It's it's about building a future together. And that's what the whole show is all about." So it I is. thought that was neat. That is, I you know I could have gone with the space battle, which is pretty cool, but I ended up going with the council scene because it was the only time I can think of that we see the the Babylon Five council arguing and screaming and yelling but we see it from an outsider's point of view. So instead of like focusing on Sheridan reacting or focusing on Londo getting mad or focusing on Jakar ranting and raving, we're kind of like a, a, a bird's eye view or a, you know, a fly on the wall view, seeing all of them at the same time doing crazy stuff, like getting mad and yelling and, st- and standing up and screaming. And I, I, I thought that was cool that we got a slightly different perspective on a scene that we've seen a million times and are going to see a million more times. Right. I, I agree. I thought that too while I was watching. It's like, man, this scene feels a lot more tense watching mm-hmm. it through, you know, yes. through this lens than, than actually, because normally you're, you're like sitting there in the room and, and you're yeah. experiencing everything. Whereas this way, you're just looking at these people screaming and fighting at each other. It felt like a, you know, a, a, a reality show where people just start yeah. beating each other up or something. It was, it was a little uh, uh, stressful, I guess. You know, I'm imagining that the viewers back home that don't know any of those characters, like in the fictional back home, the ISN audience, right, right, that's watching this documentary, they're going to have two reactions. One reaction is going to be, who are all these people and aliens and why are they all screaming at each other? My gosh. And number two, that's their chambers? (laughs) (laughs) We're spending this much of our tax money and they're in that room with the spray painted plywood? Really? This is where our tax dollars are going. Oh, that's funny. It's calling, calling recalling an earlier bit. See, I'm bringing it, it, back something we've talked about before. It's, it's impressive how often we can work that into the into our routine. It is. It is. I, I'd like to think our listeners appreciate it. Right? They're in on the they're in on the joke. Right? They know what we're talking about. They know exactly what we're talking about. It's part of the fun. Well, let's hope so. Anyway. Oh man, I certainly hope so. All right. What was your favorite character moment? Uh, my favorite character moment with, was uh, Garibaldi's interview early on when he's explaining to her uh, why he does what he does. I thought that was that was a neat insight into Garibaldi's character. That was. That was really good. I, I just had a little moment where at the end of the big battle, Sheridan is asking like very specific questions, and Susan kind of looks over at the camera and goes, <clears throat> and suddenly yeah. you remember... <laughs> Because she reminded us too, not just, we were, we were, you know, you and I and Sheridan were all in that moment. And Susan is like, <clears throat> we're not alone here, la la la. And Sheridan and you and I all went, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going out to the home audience here. Uh oh. And Sheridan's like, um, yes, of course. <laughs> it changes it really quick, you know. Um, good thing he didn't say, all right, Susan, let's get back to that meeting about how to overthrow Clark. Wait, what? Oh, no, I was just kidding. Goodness, are you kidding? Next thing you know, the freaking psychors marching on board the station. Um, all right, speaking of which, funniest moment. Funniest moment for me was when she was interviewing uh, Lieutenant Corwin, who we finally got a name for. Oh, yeah. The, the guy in CNC that's always in there with Ivanova mm-hmm. or Ivanova. <laughs> and uh, she's asking him, uh, um, uh, you know, how how are things going? How do you like your job? And he's like, it's great here. As he glances over his shoulder at Ivanova, who is you know hovering over him. Uh, yeah, there's no stress here at all. It's great here. I, <laughs> th- that was very well played and very well written. I got a good chuckle <laughs> out of that one. That is good. I I wonder uh, if 
I'm, I wonder if JMS named him after Corin from the Chronicles of Amber. That's the only other Corin I know, so I'm going to I'm going to assume that he did. That could be. You know, I also have written down, and I took these notes last week. Things may have gone gone a little differently. Do you? Does that line ring a bell at all? Mm-mm. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I have that as one of my funniest moments. So I should have. I should have put more context than that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just say that was a really funny moment, and we can go. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. All right, that, that JMS is a card. All right, I'm going to see if you can figure out what my funniest moment is because it reminded me watching it the other day. It reminded me of a moment about a week ago at a Formula One race. So the Sky Sports reporter was was. Try, was running around the grid before they started, and the drivers were walking around. Okay, and there's some places that the drivers can go that nobody else can go. They get they walk through a rope line, you know. All right. right. So there's this there's this reporter that always asks tries to ask everybody questions, and there's a famously surly and curt driver named Kimi Raikkonen from Finland. I mean, he's just like the most surly. He doesn't say anything. So the reporter goes up to him as he's walking to that rope line and says, Kimmy, can we have a word? And Kimmy says, yes, and then goes under the rope line and disappears. <laughs> that so sounds he, like Kimmy Reckon. He, awesome. he got his word, right? Yeah. So what scene in Babylon this episode did that remind me of? Does that, come, does that ring a bell at all for you? Who else uh, would just say, I, yes. Kosh. Yes. The reporter yes. trying to interview Kosh. Right. I just love it. Like, here he comes. Here he comes. And they all pounce on him. And Kosh just smokes right, right through and slams yep. the door in their face. And she's like, did you get that? Did you get it? <laughs> that was the most reportery thing that happens on this episode. That, that was like, a, that reminded me of like a local news channel. And Kosh is running a garage where they're ripping people off and not doing the right repairs on the cars. And she's from the local TV channel trying to interview manager Kosh. And Kosh is just like, no comment, no comment. Slams the door. <laughs> Talk to my lawyer, plam. We need, Kosh needed to have a lawyer that comes out and just says, Mr. Kosh will not be taking any questions today. You well, get out of here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's funny. All right. Who won the episode? This is a tough one. Uh, you know what? I I thought that uh, President Clark won the episode because they did a massive hatchet job on Babylon Five and pulled it pulled it off quite well. They You're did exactly correct. What he wanted them to do. Yep, po- uh, hatchet job, poison public opinion, hundred percent. Yeah, when yep. because you know when things you know as the series progresses, it's it becomes more and more important for the people of Earth to not support Babylon Five, and this this is the kind right. of thing that. That lends itself to that. So, yeah. All right. Everybody's favorite moment where we compare our ratings. We are on a rating on a scale of one to five, and we can use point fives. What did you give this episode? I have a theory what it's going to be. You always toss this out to me first. I, you know what? I, I was waffling between. <laughs> I, I'll just say it. I gave it a 1.5. Oh. I. I it, it had some interesting bits in it, and everything was was well enough done. The, the individual scenes were all right, but there was zero story yeah. here. I mean, there was just nothing to it. It was it was a nothing burger. You know what? I gave it a two point five for the combination of the Narn Centauri battle and the whole um, critique of the press as a propaganda organ. But you've convinced me because of the lack of plot to take away a point five. So I'm gonna drop it to a two. I can't go to one point five because there's too much stuff I did like in it. But, but yeah, I'm gonna. You know what and though? I, I I think I got my Ori Ben Ari Ben Zane Orenzento overacting award. I'm gonna give it to Dr. Franklin for that one moment where 
it's supposed to be like a live interview while he's doing the triage, and yet it suddenly turns into like a UNICEF commercial. <laughs> I, there, there's a really awkward transition there where he's like, get this man to the plasma stat, you know, get this body in there before he dies. And he looks up and goes, why are we doing this? You know, he comes up with this like packaged, canned right. answer. And I'm just like, oh, that, that seemed more like a commercial but- than an actual candid interview. Totally in character for Dr. Yeah. Franken, though. You know he's right. got those things filed away, just waiting to drop that speech on somebody. Dang it. Dang it, Andy. <laughs> you and you and your logic. All right. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. All right. So a, a 1.5 and a 2. It's, wasn't our, it wasn't either one of our favorite episodes. So Right, right. Uh, all right. Um, we're at halftime here. I've got to point out I'm going to do something different, and I hope it doesn't disappoint you or our listeners, but I'm making an executive decision here since I own the network. Um, I'm, I've started a new Patreon just for the new Avengers video and podcast show that we're going to start in January. That way I don't have to read all the football fans' names <laughs> during an Avengers show. And then I thought, well, if I'm doing that for the Avengers show, I should do it for the Babylon 5 show. I know it's entertaining to hear all the wacky football people's names, but... Right now, I'm just going to thank our great patrons in mass that support this show specifically. And I don't really have any way of knowing which ones of them support this show versus the other shows we do. But going forward, we will, because I'm going to set up a third Patreon for this channel, for this show. It'll be a lot shorter, obviously, at least at first. Hopefully, it'll grow but it'll only be folks who support this show. So give me a couple of episodes, you guys, to not thank you by name. Hang with us, and I promise you can either stay with how you're doing it now or you can move your Patreon over to the new channel, whatever you want to do. But that's what we're going to do. That way it'll, it'll just make things a little smoother and less conglomerated. All right. Oh, we got a good one. I curious to... I would be curious to see how much crossover there is between the footballers and the Babylon Fivers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got all of them on one Patreon right now, and I just can't tell. I mean, some of them you can tell, right? Right. But, but some of them, I'm like, I don't know if that person supports football and just has a cool sci-fi name, or they like the Babylon 5 show, or the James Bond show, or what? And, and it might be that some footballers are closet Babylon 5 fans, too, you know? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they want to split between the two, you know? That's fine, or stick with one, or go to the other. But I just want to make it easier on everybody is all my goal. Make it easier on everybody. Make it easier on the listeners. Make it easier on us. So we're gonna, I'm going to get that set up. It takes some time to set the page up and everything. Um, it takes like two or three days of just solid work to kind of get it all the way I want it. Because I just did the Avengers one over, the last past, over this past weekend, and it, it's very time-consuming to get all of it set up. But, but for now, thank you, patrons, so much. Without you, we could not have this show, and we appreciate you. All right, we got a big one now. I would argue that other than the coming of Shadows earlier this season, this is the biggest wham, bam, boom episode we've gotten so far. More than Signs and Portents, more than Chrysalis in some ways. Absolutely, 100%. This one, they address every major arc and mystery mm-hmm. of the show, mm-hmm. and they lay it all out. I mean, this Boom. is this is the midpoint of the novel. This is the, the exact middle where... The the they the protagonists figure everything out, or at least most of the stuff, figure out what's going on, and switch from reactive to being proactive. I love it. And it, I, it, 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 it 
you can see the moment where that happens to us. It's, it's actually there's a line yeah. where this happens. Yeah. So yeah, this I, is this is a huge one of the biggest episodes in in the entire series, and it comes at the exact midpoint of the series as well. So yeah, this is so, definitely a, interesting. A, one, one of one of the big ones. All right, so here's the summary. Uh, Sheridan discovers a connection between Mr. Morden and the death of his wife. The station is inundated by Naran refugees, and a new Earth Alliance agency tries to recruit station personnel. This is production number 217, airing number 216. Originally aired May 10th, 1995. Wait a minute. Let me go back and look. Uh, May 3rd. Okay, so yeah. So this is the. I was thinking that for some reason that. Um, there was some time in between them, but no. Okay. Written by JMS, directed by David Eagle. There's another one of our handful of favored directors that JMS would always bring in for these big episodes. We've talked about them before, and we'll see more of them. Notable guest stars, Ed Wasser as Mr. Morden. Yay, he's back. We all love uh, evil Rod Serling. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Conaway is still listed as a guest star as Zach Allen, but that'll that's going to change. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that he'll be around for a while. And Alex Hyde-White as Pierce Maccabee, the Nightwatch recruiter. Okay. Do you have any factoids or notes you want to throw out there for this one? Oh, let me see. Well, we see the very first signs of a possible issue with uh, Dr. Franklin. Yes. Um, that, that I thought was, was interesting, where we could actually pinpoint uh, the, the moment that, that we see his issues. And I did read a funny story about there is a scene in here towards the end of the episode where um, uh, uh, the, the – uh, what – Help me out here. Who's who's the psychop lady? Oh, Talia. Talia. I I I, I, know. I can never remember her name. I but sometimes where Talia crosses paths with Sheridan, and she's upset with him for uh, putting her in the position that he put her in, and she just wallops him across the face. She does. That was not a stage slap. In fact, there were two takes on that, and after the second take. Uh, Box Lightner says, "Okay, we got it in two, <laughs> and that was the end of that. That was the end of that. Yep, because she really funny. smacked him good. She did, and she had those leather gloves on or whatever. I'm sure that yeah. that wasn't comfortable. Yeah, and you can see it on his face. And the the the, the, the shot that they put in was the first take. Mm. Um, and you can see it on his face, just the shocked reaction. <laughs> and he had to bite his tongue. It was really funny. <sighs> Wonder how many times she did that to." Uh, to Garibaldi Jerry and Doyle. Real, Jerry Doyle, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd like to think several, but you know, that's just me. Oh, wow. That's just me. Ah, boy. I've met them both in real life, and I got to say, I hope it was more than a couple of times. <laughs> Rest his soul, Jerry. All right. Uh, but before we get into the details, I actually had the transcript here, so I might as well do another performance, right? You ready for this? Is like our new segment, Van Performs Babylon 5. So here we go. I'm going to be think quick. This, I think this should be a new category. I All love right. this. All right. Here we go. So Delenn and Kosh lead Sheridan off to tell him the great secret of the universe. There are beings in the universe billions of years older than either of our races. Once, long ago, they walked among the stars like giants, vast, timeless. They taught the younger races, explored beyond the rim, created great empires. But to all things there is an end. Slowly, over a million years, the first ones went away. Some passed beyond the stars, never to return. Some simply disappeared. I'm sure, all, I'm sure this is all very interesting, but what does any of it have to do with, with Mr. Morden? 
Not all of the first ones have gone away. A few stayed behind, hidden or asleep, waiting for the day when they may be needed, when the shadows come again. Shadows? We have no other name for them. The shadows were old when even the ancients were young. They battled one another over and over across millions, a million years. The last great war against the shadows was 10,000 years ago. It was the last time the ancients walked openly among us. The shadows were only defeated, not destroyed. A thousand years ago, the shadows returned to their places of power, rebuilt them, and began to stretch forth their hand. Before they could strike, they were defeated by an alliance of elves and men, no, of worlds, including the Minbari, and the few remaining first ones who had not yet passed beyond the veil. When they had finished, the first ones went away. Eh, we know this isn't true. All but one. There's still one of them left? Where? Points at Kosh. That is why Kosh cannot leave his encounter suit. He would be recognized. Recognized by who? <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> For centuries, the Vorlon stood alone, the last remaining guardians, watching and waiting. Now, Andy, this reminded me of a lot of the stuff in Lord of the Rings about Sauron going back to Mordor and rebuilding Barad-dûr and all that. Is that off base? Not at all. And Zahadum rings very, very similar to uh, uh, some of the stuff from Lord of the Rings. So I, I don't think that was a mistake or mm-hmm. an accident on JMS's part. No, no, I think people have called this Lord of the Rings in space, and I know what they mean, and I don't think it completely is, but it partially is. There's a, there's a, there's mm-hmm. some of that flavor to it, because I mean Absolutely. it's also got it's also got the Lensman and other stuff, but but there's a lot of Lord of the Rings to it, I think. Right, in, well, Def- I definitely influenced by Lord of the Rings, but you know, Lord of the Rings was very influential on a lot of writers. So <laughs> this is fair. It is true. Yes. Um, I'll just say no spoilers that. More questions for Kosh will be addressed soon, so just hang in there because answers are coming. Um, Delin's question I, that we didn't. Well, go ahead. I, I chuckled at that scene when when uh, when uh, Sheridan interrupted her at the very beginning with his exasperated. All right, this is all very interesting, but can we get on with this, please? Because I'm a huge history buff, and my wife is just now getting into history because she's starting to follow politics for the first time in her 50 years. Good for her. So she'll she'll ask me a question, and being the history buff that I am, I'll start the answer 100 years before explaining all the context for this. And she'll look at me, and she goes, just let's do it without the Civil War reenactment, okay? With that exact tone that Sheridan used. So I, I laughed out loud when, when, when he said that. That's great. That is so great. I love it. Now I want to come over to your house and just hang around and watch this because I would really enjoy that. As a history, <laughs> as an actual history professor, I would very much like to see how you do it. I'm sure you do a great bang-up job, absolutely. Um, and, and she's lucky to have somebody that can lay that stuff out like that. And I'm glad that she's yeah. interested in asking good questions. That's really cool. Um, can, can you write all that down and send that to her? <laughs> um, oh, by the way, does not Delin give this exact same speech again on another episode, like word for word? Yeah. I feel like I know she says it again. I, well, I can't um, say it, where. It, I can't even see, remember where. Right. It, 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 it all sounded very familiar, and it touches on very, uh, very uh, popular themes with the, with the series. And, I, I'm, and my question is, so a thousand years ago, the Vorlons run around in encounter suits? Wait, say that again. It sound like they just started. It, it, the way it, she warded it, the mm-hmm. Vorlons a thousand years ago during the last War of the Shadows didn't run around in encounter suits. Oh, I don't know. That 
because she said that's why he wears the encounter suit. Otherwise, everybody would recognize him for what he is. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if I took it quite the way you are. I'm not sure. I'm, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure that's how I'm taking it, but I don't know. I don't know. I think it's fair. Okay. It's a fair question. Um, oh, speaking of history and history class, we found out that Zach used to fall asleep in history class, so he doesn't know much about ancient history, quote unquote, like World War II. That made me want to pull my hair out. Right. Um, we we I found thought that scene was was. I, I'm sorry. I thought that scene was funny when he slipped into his character from Greece a little bit. Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> I that's thought that good. was cool. That is good. Um, Delenn's question to Kosh and Chrysalis that we never knew what she asked. Says, remember she told Lanier, ask this question word for word and everything. It was have the shadows returned yep. to Zaha Doom, and the answer was yes. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. The Ministry of Peace and its abbreviation, many packs come from George Orwell's 1984. And um, uh, this is interesting. JMS said the shadows know that Kosh knows about them because the Vorlons always know stuff. They also know, the shadows also think that they're in a superior position because if Kosh should tell the others, either they wouldn't believe him or the shadows would move more aggressively, costing untold lives. So the shadows are more worried about an alliance between lots of races than they are about the Vorlons alone. That's that that's helpful, right? That's yeah. helpful. Okay. And my last thing, but I think this is really interesting, Andy. You and I have talked a couple of times before about Catherine Sakai and how originally, if it was still Sinclair, it would be Catherine Sakai that went off to Zaha Doom and then you know disappeared and all that. But JMS says, and I'm like, you know what? I can't argue with this. I can't argue with this. He said, the one big reason Catherine Sakai could not have filled Anna Sheridan's role in Awakening the Shadows, and this is the one thing that everyone who advocates that theory tends to forget, is that they were already up and awake in the first season, as we saw in Signs and Portents. They were up around and had had some time to build stuff, reclaim some of their ships, and get organized. Uh, and Morden was already working for them. So if Morden is already working for them, he couldn't have been on the same ship that Catherine right. would have been on. And I'm That's like... That's a very good point. Dang. Yeah, but the you timeline know, doesn't match up. Yeah, It doesn't. It doesn't. But you know what that does, though? It disappoints me because it means that JMS was repeating himself because he was making Anna Sheridan and Catherine, uh, Sinclair, Catherine Sakai the same character, even though they couldn't be the same character. So it actually ends up being more of an indictment on him kind of lazy writing than it does on us trying to follow the path where it led. True. Interesting. Interesting. It is. Okay. All right. Let's get to the stuff. Um, we got to talk about this one. This would be fun. What was your high point of In the Shadow of Zahadun? There were so much, so many candidates for, for this one. But I have to say that the, the, the one thing that really sold this episode and made it a, a, as awesome as it was was Ed Wasser as Morton. I mean, that, he, was, yeah. he is so perfect in that role and he plays it so well. It, it just completely made this episode. It was awesome. It was great to see him back. I'm like, oh, look, there's Ed, Ed Wasser again. And I'm like, oh, man, he's really nailing it in this episode. So I, for me, that was a high point. You know what I noticed in this one for the first time? He tries to have that used car salesman smile and all the time. And what's interesting is what breaks it. Yeah. And in this episode, Veer breaks it, and then Sheridan yeah. breaks it. 
Yeah. And it makes him uncomfortable. Right. It's fun seeing Morden a little uncomfortable because he's always yep. so he's so arrogantly, smugly confident, right? That it's fun to see him on his back foot every now and then. And Ed Wasser just nails it. That that transition between the two is phenomenal. I mean, yes. it's so it's it it's just like a mask just drops, and you can see his human mm-hmm. side, mm-hmm. and then it comes back up when he he pops that smile back on again, and, mm-hmm. and gets all menacing. That look at the very end there, when they're looking at him in the cell with that, when he's just glaring at the camera. Oh, oh yeah. man, that was super creepy. It was creepy. I. I did somebody a disservice. There's three times he gets discomfited. The other one is Zach when they all draw down on him. Remember, yeah. he's like, Zach's like, you'll have to, you're basically, Zach's, it's like an old West. Zach's like, you're under arrest. I don't think so. <laughs> Come yeah. out the guns. He's like, whoa, it could right. like something out of Tombstone. Um, and he did look, he did look a little uncomfortable when they ran across Talia. You know, you know, you're right. He, That's he could true. sense her because he was looking over her shoulder. Yeah. Like he was, he was a little worried. He could tell. Yeah. yeah, he could tell that she was what she was. All right, I gotta say, I had three. So hate me all you want, call me out on it. I don't care. Here are my three. They're quick. I don't love Veer. He's not my favorite character by any means. Um, I had an unpleasant kind of run in with the actor at Dragon Con. Didn't really love the actor that much. I was trying to be nice to him. He was kind of ugly to me and my girlfriend at the time. It's kind of, but I get that everybody loves the whole thing with cutting off Morden's head and doing the little wave at it. That is, that really has become like a centerpiece of this show, right? To this day, it's one of probably the top 10 moments people talk about is when Veer tells Mr. Morden, I want to live long enough to see your head on a pike and I can do my little wave at it, right? It's, it's a moment that everybody still talks about. Unlike the previous episode that we just talked about, that's a moment everybody... So we have to include it, right? Even though I don't love it, I have right. to include it. And I'm going to mention in a minute, I think it's there for a reason, but I'll get to that in a minute. I think it's there for a reason. Uh, number two, I love when Zach asked what Sheridan saw, he says, nothing, shadows, I mean, that was slick, right? Because Zach thinks, oh, right. it means he just saw some shadows. But that's right. exactly what he saw, right? He tells him the truth. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And then the last one is, because this is another moment that's going to resonate with us for a long time to come. If you go to Zahadum, you will die. I mean, basically, Sheridan has just volunteered to join the Vorlon army. Right. And he's like, I'm going to join the Vorlon army because I want to go to Zahadum. And he's like, if you go to Zahadum, you'll die. Well, if I die, I die, but I'm going to freaking Zahadum. Yeah. And For, th- that would, was... you call, would you call that foreshadowing? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that scene right there is arguably one of the biggest moments in the entire series. Like I said, that is yes. the midpoint of the novel. That is, that is yes. the turning point for his character where he Boom. goes from reacting to, I want to take this fight to them. Well, he, he flat out says, I want you to teach me how to kill them. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that was a huge moment. To fight legends. Exactly. Um, all right. Low point. I didn't have one. This, this episode just went along without, I, 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 I didn't even take a breath. I mean, it was, it was a cool episode and, I never was let down at, at, at any point, so I I could probably nitpick one if I had to, but it would take a, a while. That's fair. I think that what is happening now with some of these really strong episodes is, at least for my part, I'm no longer looking for moments that I cringe because I'm like, oh, why did they film it that way, or oh, that was so poorly written, or hey, look, there's the Jovian sunspot again, or whatever. 
I think we're now to the moment where my low points are the moments that are really, really well done, but are depressing or like, oh, uh, you know. So I'm, I'm kind of ah. having to force myself to change the criteria as we go just because that's where we are, you know. So, and you can, I, you, I you like can, that. You can go forward that if you want to or not. It's entirely up to you. But I had two low points, just in terms of low as far as me watching it and going, oh, no, that, that's really depressing. <laughs> One was that Veer has to go to Sheridan and argue for Morden to be released. And this is what I was referring to earlier. I think that that opening scene where Veer really just goes after Morden, all but slaps him in the face and throws a drink on his face, you know? Yep. I think that scene is there to make this scene better. Because if the only scene of Veer we had in this episode was him going in and defending Morden, we'd come out of this episode thinking that Veer had gone over to the other side and was agreeing with Londo now, right? And was in bed with Morden, so to speak. Right. That, right. Op- that opening scene primed us to understand that Veer will do his job which is what he does with getting Morden released, or trying to, but he doesn't like it. And I think that was important. Does that make sense? Yep, absolutely, and I agree 100%. All right. The other low point is just having Zach wearing the dang armband. You know, at the end he puts on the night watch. uh, But when when that guy, when he gave that speech, and just not going off of what we know is going to come, but just listening to what he was saying, you know, it's it's reasonable that a, a reasonable fellow like Zach would be like, huh, you know, that's not that that sounds like a, a good thing, you know? And the way credits. that guy sold the yeah, the way the guy sold the Ministry of Peace, I mean it it was a slick job and he was a very um motivational speaker. So because yeah. uh, he countered every objection that they had and all that stuff. I, I I can see where Zach was coming from. But yeah, it was kinda but even though he was wearing the armband he was doing it. He they made sure that he said, "Hey, you know, an extra fifty credits a week." Yeah, you know that's not so bad. He yeah. didn't buy into the dark side. He he was just doing it because, hey, this is extra cash in my pocket. That's right. That's right. So it it, it didn't it didn't spoil his character at all. I and you know yeah I think you're right. And um, I I got to say though, as good as most of what uh, Alex Hyde White said when he says um, he says we have to protect people from dangerous ideas. And I'm like, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. There you go. Thought police. Nope. No, thanks. You know, (laughs) whenever they start protecting you from dangerous ideas, you know what side the the armband is on. And as students of history, like you and I are, we, we understand what that means, but your average security guard, your average Joe (laughs) person that doesn't think about politics or Mm -hmm. thinks that world war two is ancient history. You know, that sounds like a good idea. So, right. I agree. Not say not saying the guy was right, just that he was very effective. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, did you have an Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award for this episode? I did not. I thought everybody did fantastic. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought the same thing. Um, even Alex Hyde White was 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 good there. Uh, yeah. Okay, what what was your most Babylon Five scene? Uh, I my most Babylon Five scene was uh, the shadows have. Or yeah, the sh- that whole speech that they gave uh, Sheridan that they ended yeah. up with the shadows have returned to Zahadum because that, it. like I said earlier, that outlines the entire crux of the series right there. I mean, that's that's that it sums up the entire story going forward from here on out. It ties all the all the the dangling plot, you know, 
plot mysteries that we had and everything, and it just lays it all out. So I thought that was the most Babylon 5 scene in the series, probably. Yeah, probably so. Uh, except when she does it again later. <laughs> but I didn't right. know. But, but I also haven't... <coughs> excuse me, was, I also haven't... It was so Babylon 5, they had to do it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a note here... When Sheridan asks who the other first one is that Delenn mentions that there's one left, and she looks at Kosh, there's like a moment there where Sheridan's like, <gasps> and it's really powerful because it's kind of like he's been thinking of Kosh as like a slightly weirder Centauri, you know, or 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 Narn, right? They're and Narn, all of a sudden yeah. he's looking at all of a sudden he's looking at Kosh like he's a freaking god, you know. Like he's Thor right. or Hercules or something come down from right. Mount Olympus, and that which, is, which isn't too far from the that's truth. <laughs> not too far, no, it's true. Yeah, so that was interesting to me that um, that it, that profound sense of realization that Sheridan has about Kosh, really, because uh, he's been trying to figure Kosh out for a while. He just didn't have that one piece of information, so that was good. All right, right. what was your what was your favorite character moment this time? There's plenty. My favorite character. Yeah, there were a lot. I, in fact, I've got, uh, I've got two. Do I have, do I have two? Yeah. No, I have three. Wow. Ooh. Okay, so I'm going to cheat like you just did. I've <laughs> got three. Fine. Veers, Veers answered a Morden. Um, that that whole scene we just talked about. That was good. The, the the speech about putting his head on the pike. That's a classic. Yeah, I thought that was a great character moment because that that shows Veers. You know, he's been he's been shown as as a painty waste and kind of a, a loser in each episode he gets a little bit more to him and this steals him this gives him that that spine that backbone that we want to see in him it's true um the do you believe in god conversation between ivanova and uh franklin i thought that was a very franklin scene and i Mm -hmm. thought his answer was great i really i really uh (laughs) thought that was a pretty powerful answer he worships the Church of Isaac Asimov's trilogy of books. We just watched the Apple TV show. Hey, we just did, we just reviewed that on the last episode here that with John and me. That's cool. I thought that was neat. The church and then um, the if you go to Zahadum, uh, oh, you will die. I thought yes. that was because that was the defining moment for uh, Sheridan's character. I mean, that was when he switched mm-hmm. it on and was like, "I want to kick these guys' butts right now." So. Oh, that was neat. We might say a word or two in the spoiler space about that. Yeah, I agree. We, um, we might. Favorite character moment for me, I just have Sheridan all the way through. I thought this was another. About like one out of every five episodes so far, we just get a tour de force from Bruce Boxleitner, and this is really a revelation of how good he is. And you could see in, in his, I mean, the, the conflict within him between doing the, the legal thing and mm-hmm. doing the thing you know, that yeah. he wants to do to Morton. And you could tell it was that scene when Zach was talking to him. And it was that line where he said, I saw shadows. He made the decision right mm-hmm. then and there. So, and it wasn't until then that he made that decision. It wasn't oh. when he had that conversation with Caution to Land. It was right there when he saw those shadows and everything solidified for him. It was like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. So, and you could see it on his face. I, and, and the conflict within him the entire episode was, was shown on his face. It was 100%. awesome. It was, it was great. Yeah, I, I liked that he rebuffed everybody. I especially liked when he asked Ivanova, could you, you know, in these circumstances, blah, 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 could you let him go? And she kind of stood there and goes, no, I couldn't. So she was like, yep. I, you know, you're doing the wrong thing, but I understand, you know, I get right. it. And so. 
to contrast that with the scene with Garibaldi. That was a very powerful scene, too, that yeah, ended up yeah. with Garibaldi resigning. I mean, they mm-hmm. were going at each other. Garibaldi wasn't backing down. I thought that was that was a very strong scene. And that surprised me, too. I mean, because Garibaldi plays so fast and loose himself, but he gets so outraged if somebody else does. I, that was interesting. And he tried to defend it, and I understood his explanation, but I, I still didn't 100% agree with it. I still think he would have done right. the same thing if the situation had been – if that had been lease – or something, you know? Right. And, I, and I, yeah. I I don't think that was lost on, on JMS either. I think that mm-hmm. um that that Garibaldi doesn't hundred percent trust Sheridan yet. I don't know. There there's still that there's yeah. still that stiffness between them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, that played into this. I like that because while there were advantages story wise to Sinclair and Garibaldi being such good buddies, and it made sense that you'd have to know him really well to hire him for this job. You know, that was the whole thing is nobody, nobody in the world, nobody in the galaxy would have hired Garibaldi for this job except Sinclair. So he was, he, you needed the original commander to be buddies with him. But I think the story works better now when they don't know each other as well. Right. Um, did you have a funniest moment? Funniest moment I have. Um, Oh, when he was talking to Veer, and he he was saying that he's putting Morden in protective custody, and Veer comes back with protective from what? And he said, <laughs> "I haven't decided yet." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was really good. So he's trying he's trying to you know stun him with his legalese, and then he just throws it out the window and says, "I don't know. I, I'm just keeping him." <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. All right, I think you're gonna really like my funniest moment. It's not a ha 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 funny. It's more of like an absurd like, wait a minute, what just happened? Funny. But it involves Dr. Franklin and Ivanova. Stephen is asleep. All right. In his chair. He is asleep. And Susan walks up and shakes him awake. And then what does she say? I'm here to tell you you haven't slept in 36 hours. <laughs> if I were Franklin, I'd be like, yes, I have until you just woke me up. I, I don't know how I, time to go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know how I missed it before all those times, but I'm just like, you woke him up to tell him he hasn't slept. What the heck is that? <laughs> I mean, I guess she wanted him to go get in the bed or something. It's like when I wake up my daughter, she falls asleep on the right. couch or something, you know, but I mean, let the man sleep for crying out loud. At least that way you don't have to <laughs> argue with him about it. Like you do now that you've woken him up. Oh man. That, that one, that's that got oh, me. Oh, that's funny. All right, we're in the home stretch. Who won this episode? I'm really curious. Who do you think won this episode? Because I think it's two different, Man, two different I, things. I I think Sheridan won this one in that he got his his uh, his focus for the 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 fight to come. I I, I think I mean he he's the one that went through the most heart wrenching uh, uh, problems. In this episode, but I think he ended up winning because he now has a laser focus as to what he wants to do. Yeah. I have a short term and a long term. I think in the short term, Morden and the Shadows won because they got away. They got away with everything. As far as they know, right? They got away with everything and they got off the station. That's very short term. But in the long term, I think that really everybody else won because it kept the secret and kept the shadows from acting too soon and allowed the Vorlons to keep doing whatever they're doing and Sheridan to kind of, like you said, find his path and all that. So short-term win for the shadows, long-term win for everybody else. That's how I see it. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And it's funny because the further we go into the series, the more it's going to be 
you know, it, Remember, it used to be like the winner was Ivanova. <laughs> now the winners are right. like life. <laughs> We're really seeing the change in the focus of this show as we get to this, you know. You know. The, the scope is getting a little bit bigger. Yeah, it used to be Ivanova gets to talk to her dad. Yay, now it's like the galaxy doesn't die. Okay, wow, what a change. That's amazing. All right, but that really does reflect how the show... That's, that's exactly what we were talking about earlier, though. This, 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 yeah. It goes from these little... Little, you know, specialized yeah. episodes that's, to this big story. That's called upping the stakes. It really is. All right, our last one, the rating. Here we go. Oh, I'm I'm really curious. This is going to be interesting. Sometimes we're dead on and sometimes we're completely off. So, I, I'm giving this one a 4.5. I Woo! wanted to give it a 5, but I'm reserving those for just the very special episodes. So this one gets a solid 4.5 for me. Wow. You have always been a bit more generous than me when these. You know that. You 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 tend yeah. to you tend to veer. You tend to zoom down a little lower at times, and you tend to zoom a little high. You, there's more range. I'm kind of in the middle, and you kind of go a little. That's okay. That's fine. It's just interesting. It's interesting to me how we think about it di- differently. But um, yeah, I'm I'm I have in mind like f- three or four episodes that are going to get a five. Right. And I have in mind about. Seven episodes that are going to get a four point five, and okay. we haven't gotten there yet, unless Chrysalis did. I can't remember, so it might have. I, I think I, Chrysalis did. I, okay, I think I gave Chrysalis a five. Okay, yeah, you're a little more liberal with your, with your fives. I haven't. We're not going to get to a five for a while for me. Uh, this one got a four, but I don't give many fours. I usually give a lot of twos and two point five. So this right. is a four for a kind of mid late season two episode. It had to have something big going on and it did it gets a four a four is is pretty darn good um number for me so all right uh, Bef- you know for for me what 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 made this one so big for me was that it was such a huge moment in in the the arc and in the series and for a lot of characters i mean that this this really galvanized everybody and this this really sets up the, the future of the series so i, I that, yeah. that's why i read it so high. it was a very important episode yeah no you're right you're right uh, before we get into spoiler space, and I don't have a whole lot of spoiler, um, our next installment, uh-oh, this is where I always mess up, our next installment <clears throat> will cover the episodes two, f- I hate how this, see, this is where the numbering already bites me, 217 and 218, uh, mm-hmm. 217 to 18, that will be Knives, which I think is a Larry Dottilio special, it may be the last one. And confessions and lamentations, and I got to tell you, Andy, you know I've mentioned before there are episodes that when I hear the title, I can tell you the entire plot, and there are episodes <laughs> that when I hear the title, I'm like, I have no idea what happens in that one because they're usually kind of generic titles. Right. Conf- confessions and lamentations could, honest to goodness, be anything. I have no idea what happens in that episode. I have a suspicion. <laughs> I suspect that I know which one that is, but I'm not sure. So I think I know what happens in it, but I'm not. It's eh. I, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Knives is a kind of a Londo centric episode. Um, I believe so. I think so. So we got a little Londo I coming mean, up. We got one that we're not exactly sure what it is coming up. Maybe something big. And by the way, yeah, Knives is definitely Londo. Yep. Okay. Now, now that I see it. And and by the way, we get to two twenty one and two twenty two. I'm sorry, uh, two nineteen and two twenty. The, in in in, a, in you know four weeks from now, divided loyalties in the long twilight struggle gets real. Stuff yeah. gets real. So 
enjoy our next episode. It's kind of like as Gandalf said, the 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 deep breath before the plunge, because that roller coaster is going into high gear come 19, 20, 21, and 22. And we're going to be holding on for dear life. Yep, we are on the top of that that very first hill right now, and it's about to go down it's about and to. really fast and good to go through loops and, and tunnels and all that stuff. And Mr. Morden is holding the lever on the old roller coaster. <laughs> right. And he's so, grinning. And, and the Confessions and Lamentations is, is I think we'll, we'll – I think you'll find that one interesting. It, it touches on something that, well, we won't, we'll, we'll yeah. watch it. It, it. it has to do with the Marcab. I was going to say, does this, is this a Marcab related thing? Yeah. Then I, th- I yeah. think I know, I think I know what it is then. I think I know what it is. Yeah. It is kind of a big one. All right. Now. Jump gate activated. We are in spoiler space. So if you haven't yet watched beyond these episodes, you want to in the words of Parzival from Ready Player One, bail out, bail, bail. Because we got a little, I don't have very much, but I got a little bit of spoiler stuff here. Um, my spoiler stuff, do you have any spoiler stuff while I'm trying to find it? While I'm, while I'm trying to find uh, it. The only thing that I really have is uh, when Garibaldi resigned, how, how uh, much foreshadowing that was. Seeing, mm. you know, Zach kind of put in charge temporarily while Garibaldi, you know, was in his civilian clothes, not doing his job. There at the end, I, I thought that was very, uh, very much foreshadowing because we all know that that comes up later too. So foreshadowing, <laughs> yeah. A um, couple of things from JMS that I didn't think I should say in the regular show. Uh, he says I like layers of ambiguity. Let's say for the sake of argument, we set up the shadows and the Vorlons, which looks like evil versus good. Fundamentally, mm-hmm. I would find that boring. What? Uh, what you would do is to get into why they're doing what they do and how. There's, for instance, the good that says, we know what's best for you, we'll protect you, nurture you, but you'll do it our way and we'll keep you away from ideas and beliefs you shouldn't be exposed to. He says, maybe that fits a definition of good, but is it? On the flip side, there's the bad that says there must be conflict and death because it's only through conflict and death that we go stronger that we can eventually create an ordered universe. The gene pool must be kept strong. Do that, there must be war and strife and death. Maybe that fits the definition of evil, but is it? So he says the key as always is that nothing is what it seems on Babylon 5. And even if it looks like it is what it is, you have to look at why it is. And maybe at that point, it isn't. So I kind of like the idea that, you know, we've got not just a good and evil, but we've got like a dichotomy of other viewpoints beyond just good and evil, which is an interesting thing. Right, and I, I thought that the twist with the Vorlons being, we find out that they're not quite, you know, the the goody two shoes angelic beings that are here to save the day. Uh, I thought that was a, a a fascinating twist and an interesting direction to go. Um, oh yeah, I kind of like. I mean, I, I I hated I hated you know what happened to Kosh and all that, but because mm-hmm. um, you know you kind of grow to love the 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 goofy guy. <laughs> he did. You know? I love Kosh. I yeah, got, yeah. I got look. I, you, the the listeners can't see it, but you on our watching on our call can. I have my little Kashi right here on my yeah. desk. Yes. And and he, there's not much character to him until you know we get to know him a little bit more, and then he he's yeah he is kind of I don't want to call him cuddly, but he is he is at least <laughs> he comes across as a good dude compared to the rest of the of the Vorlons. Right, seem pretty right. pretty freaking mercenary. Right, he's like he's right. compassionate. He's a compassionate Vorlon. Yeah, yeah I, he seems I, genuinely compassionate for sure. I think it was interesting that 
as things were revealed about the shadows, and then we learned their enemies of the Vorlons, our natural, as JMS said, our natural reaction is to think, okay, so the shadows are evil and the Vorlons are good. And you think well, the Vorlons have to be good because there's no way that the good side can win the war if the shadows are on the bad side and the Vorlons are not good. But remember, truth is a three-edged sword. All right. Ah, okay. So, yeah, I like that the Vorlons just had a different way of being not evil. I don't think any of them are evil. Well, the shadows are pretty darn evil. The Drock are evil. But anyway, um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that it's really more a battle of ideas and philosophies rather than just good guys and bad guys. That I give right. the show, I give JMS credit for making it more sophisticated than that. So, right. And I thought I think it's kind of cool that the Vorlons uh, need help from other races to fight their, you know, the, the shadows too. Yeah. yeah. That that's how that's how bad the shadows are. Yeah, yeah. And the Vorlons have made plenty of mistakes, too. I mean, there's episodes in the the third space movie is all about the Vorlons making a really bad mistake and trying to sweep it under the rug. (laughs) You know, somebody looks under the rug and everything goes kaflooey. So, all right. Well, that's all I have for tonight. How about you? I think that that's a that's a wrap. That's a wrap. All right, folks, we will see you again in two weeks time. When we get into uh, Knives with Londo and Confessions and Lamentations, is that the one? Yeah. And uh, until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Andy, I will see you soon, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Take care, man. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.